What's up, everyone? Welcome in. Welcome, current listeners, new listeners. This is episode 26 of WFS, The Will Ford Show. It is great to have you in on a Tuesday. We've got a lot to cover. It has been a while since I've gotten an episode out. Let's just go ahead and jump right into the, into today's show. We've got a lot of great stuff. So I want to start with the World Cup. There is some in, some terrific group play. Um, I don't know if many of you are into soccer. I'm not all into soccer all the time, but when the World Cup comes around, I definitely pay attention a little bit. Um, but I, I think it's been pretty entertaining so far. Um, Ronaldo had a hat trick for Portugal uh, early on in group play. And really, that was the that was probably the most exciting game to this point. Germany fell to Mexico in the first match, so it was it's been a pretty pretty crazy so far. But what I'm going to do is I'm just going to pick a team from each group that I like to get out of those groups. So my top team in each group, we're just going to go through the groups here. Group A. Group A has Russia, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and Uruguay. And I like Egypt and Uruguay. I like both of them. Probably like Egypt a little more. That's my favorite in Group A. And if you think about this, in, in, in the past, host countries of the World Cup tended to do pretty, pretty well. That was, but that was, you know, 20, 30 years ago. In recent World Cups, like in South Africa in 2010 and Brazil in 2014, those host teams struggled mightily. And I think that's going to be the same for Russia. I think this is a pretty strong group, and I really like Egypt and Uruguay in in Group A. Group B, in Group B we have Portugal, Spain, Morocco, and Iran, or Iran actually. That is the proper pronunciation, Iran. Uh, but I like Portugal and Spain in this group. Portugal, obviously, just because they have arguably the best player in the world in Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, but these... Morocco and, I, and Iran, I don't think, are very viable options to stop Portugal and Spain. Portugal and Spain are just too strong of teams to compete with them in Group B. So I think Portugal and Spain are the strong favorites out of that group, and probably favorites to win the whole thing. Uh, group C... In Group C, we have France, Australia, Peru, and Denmark. I think France, France, I think, is for sure the top team in this group. And I think it's a pretty tough group, actually. Um, Australia is not bad. I mean, they might be the weakest team in the group, but it's a really strong group. 
Peru isn't bad either. I do like Denmark. Also, Denmark, I'd probably put second in the group, but I do love France the most. And it is a very tough group. Uh, group D. We have Argentina, Iceland, Croatia, and Nigeria. I think... I, I, I de definitely, for sure, Argentina, when you have arguably another guy who's considered the best player in the world and and Lionel Messi. I mean, it's hard to go against a, a team with that guy at the forefront. And then as far as a another team that I would like in this group, I think Nigeria. Nigeria, I think, is a sleeper team, and I think can actually go pretty far in the World Cup. Um... Croatia has some young stars. They have some young talent, but I just don't know if they're going to get past a Nigeria team that's pretty strong. Um, Iceland, I don't think, is that good. I do like Argentina for sure. Group E. Group E, we have Brazil, Switzerland, Costa Rica, and Serbia. Brazil, obviously. Is the front runner for that group when you have Neymar, who is another guy who is considered to be the best player in the world. Three guys, the three best players in the world. You're not going to go against Brazil. Brazil str has struggled a little bit, but can't bet against Neymar. And I don't really have another team here. Uh, and I don't know much soccer. I've been paying attention mostly to the to the top teams, really. For like like your Germany's, your your uh, Portugal's, Argentina's, Brazil's, those top teams. If I had to pick one, just based off of you know just a guessing game here, I'd go Switzerland, just because I guess it's fun to say. I don't really know much soccer, so I will go Switzerland as my second team in that group. Uh, group F. Germany, Mexico, Sweden, and Korea. Top two teams easily, Germany and Mexico. And Germany, they, Germany in the first game, in the first match, sorry, against Mexico, actually outplayed Mexico for the majority of that, of that match, 75% of it. And... And Mexico just kind of took it. And that should be a great wake-up call for them. But I think, without a doubt, Germany and Mexico are the best two in that group. And from what I've seen, it's not a great group at all. It's a very bad group. And they should really have no problems against South Korea or Sweden. They're easily two of the weakest teams in the World Cup although they do have some, some talented young players. Group G, Belgium, Panama, Tunisia, and England are in this group. I do like England a lot. I think they, they kind of fly under the radar a little bit. And, and they're a pretty straightforward group. They're pretty consistent. I like them. Um, Belgium has... Players considered to be superstars. Panama and Tunisia are, from what I have seen, not quality teams. They're not 
as high on quality as some of your other teams in the World Cup. And then finally, Group H. Group H, we have Poland, Senegal, Colombia, and Japan. This group, I have no idea. Uh, it's a really tricky group because I really don't know a lot about these teams. So I'm just going to pick one. I'll go Colombia. So my favorites out of each group, Colombia, England, I really like Mexico. I really like Mexico as a sleeper team. Uh, Germany obviously is the favorite though. Brazil, Argentina, France, Portugal, and I'm going to go with Egypt as my favorites to, to come out of each group, to be on top in each group. And then my other teams that I really like, Uruguay. I do like Spain. Um, Mexico. Those are my top teams in this group. And if I had to predict a winner, Germany won it the last time the World Cup was being played, 2014. I think, I think either Ronaldo or Messi are going to get their World Cup. And it's likely both of their it's likely the last opportunity for both of them in the World Cup. They're both in their 30s. Another four years, I don't know if they could both do another. They can probably play another four years, but just at that high of a level, I don't know if they can do it. Uh, I think one of those guys are going to get their World Cup this year, and it would be, I'm not sure how the groups will shake out, obviously, but an Argentina-Brazil, or, sorry, Argentina and Portugal final would be outstanding. That would be very entertaining. But I'm not sure how the, the groups play out. I'm not really sure about the structure. I know it's based on a point system, but I just don't I don't know how it works when you advance. Who do you play? Do you play the team with the lowest points that got in? However it works. But I would be very intrigued to see a Argentina Portugal final. Um, and then some other big news about the World Cup. The World Cup is coming to North America in 2026. So that means Canada, the United States, and Mexico are going to host the World Cup with the majority of the World Cup being played in the U.S. and venues in the U.S. So I think that's, that's huge for for soccer and it's huge for American sports really in American history. The last time America had the World Cup was in the 90s. I believe it was 1994. And attendance for the World Cup was at its highest when it was in the US. So obviously it's very popular and I think soccer is going to overtake baseball as one of the most popular sports in the U.S. Uh, I'm kind of surprised it hasn't taken it over by now. I would have figured around 10 years ago when you know soccer would have kind of evolved into that next great American sport. But I think for sure with this World Cup coming up in eight years, another eight years, I, 
I mean, it's really going to boost the popularity of soccer in America. And soccer is such an internationally popular sport that you find it hard to believe that a country like America, it's not as popular on America. But yeah, that is great for the United States. I mean, I'm super excited for that. That would that's going to be a great World Cup. And who knows, maybe America might be in it. <laughs> America missed it this year. So we'll see what happens with that. But I want to shift gears now to golf. I don't think I've talked about golf at all on this show, but the US Open at Shinnecock Hills uh, was just completed. Brooks Koepka, I think I messed that up. Brooks Koepka, there we go. He goes back to back at the U.S. Open. He's he won it last year and now this year, and it's the first time anyone's went back to back at the U.S. Open since Curtis Strange in 1989. I believe it was 88 and 89. Yes, and that's an extremely tough thing to do is to go back to back at the U.S. Open. They changed the course. It's played a, a different course every year, and last year Brooks Koepka won, and I believe it was I think he won at sixteen under par. I think it was. I don't even remember, but he won at some ridiculous with some ridiculous score. And then this U.S. Open this year, he finished at plus one. He won it at plus one. It wasn't even under par. It just shows the the change in difficulty of the course. Uh, the conditions were very bad at Shinnecock Hill. It was very windy. The greens were very fast. Um, the c conditions just weren't great. And uh, Tiger Woods, everyone thought this would be the great return of Tiger and he would have a great opportunity to win. And I just didn't think he was ready yet. Obviously, he's been playing great in some of these smaller tournaments, and he's been very relevant. But he he very much disappointed. He missed the cut for the third time in his career at the U.S. Open. So I think I don't think that was expected. I don't think people thought he would miss the cut. I thought people were. I think people thought he was going to be competitive. But like the odds makers had him at sixteen to one to win, and that's just that's insane. That was one of the top five. I think that was top five in the odds. And I really didn't think he was going to play that well because he hasn't put his entire game together yet. It's always been one day the driving's off, everything else is good. Another day his irons are off, everything else is good. And then the, uh, the next day, his putting's off and everything else is great. And he just hasn't put it all together yet. And until he puts that all together consistently, I don't know if he'll ever win another major. I think he's going to get one more. I think he almost has to get one more just to complete this roller coaster story of Tiger Woods. I mean, Tiger Woods is easily one of the most popular athletes in sports history. One of the most captivating athletes ever. And anytime you hear the name Tiger Woods, 
everybody is watching. Everybody is cheering in Tiger Woods' tee box. The ratings for the Golf Channel skyrocket when Tiger plays. Doesn't matter if he plays well or if he plays poorly. It's Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods was easily the most dominant athlete for like a 10-year span from 98 to 2008. He was the most dominant athlete in pro sports. And it's almost the usual now for Tiger to disappoint whenever we think he's going to do great. And I know one day he will get back to peak physical condition and mental condition and play well. But I just don't think he's ready yet. He just came off of a spinal, like a spinal fusion surgery and no one has ever come back and played the same in golf. And he's already playing way better than anyone expected him to coming off of that kind of surgery. So I think there's definitely a bright future for Tiger and I think he's definitely going to win another major. It's just a matter of when, not if. And then something really crazy from the U.S. Open. Um, Phil Mickelson also missed the cut, played very poorly, did a lot of preparation for this tournament, and just in the end, it could never, he just really couldn't get anything going. But he took a two stroke penalty for hitting a moving ball. He hit a putt, it rolled just to the right of the hole, and kept going, and it was going to go down a slope on the green and roll off the green, and he jogged over to it, briskly jogged over to the ball, and putted it back towards the hole, and almost made it actually, but people were up in arms about this, and I really don't know why, I, I thought it was more, I thought it was more amusing than anything, I guess it's just a casual sports fan, I'm not a golf guy, I don't watch a lot of golf. So I don't really understand the etiquette when it comes to playing the game of golf and things like that. And I suppose if I actually played and understood the game and watched the game, maybe I would be more upset with it. I didn't really see a problem with it. The guy was clearly out of the tournament. It wasn't like he cheated. I mean, it is cheating, but I mean, he was way out of the tournament. Not a chance in the world to win. He was 15 strokes back. So, I mean, I don't understand what the big deal was. But his excuse for it was using the rules to his advantage, taking the two-stroke penalty rather than, you know, putting three more times. So, I don't buy that. I don't think anyone in their right mind would buy that kind of excuse. It was clearly a frustration thing, and I think he was definitely taking a jab at the, I think it's the USGA, the the, pe the committee for, for tournament play, and you know how poorly managed this US Open was in terms of like picking this course. It was such a tough course, but I really thought, I, th I thought it was more amusing than anything. He was clearly out of the tournament. It's not like he cheated. And I, it was clearly a frustration thing. And I think he was just frustrated that he'd been playing so poorly. 
and he did all this preparation to try to come out here and win the U.S. Open, the only major Phil Mickelson has never won. And it was just, I think it was just clear frustration. And I don't understand the etiquette of golf enough to to uh, make sense of why people thought it was such a an egregious egregious thing. Now I was watching the Will Kane show on on uh, ESPN, and he had a guest on talking about it. And I guess obviously, if you play golf, watch golf, you understand it more. Um. But he sort of compared that act to committing a technical foul in basketball, like something like that, or like a flagrant foul, or an unnecessary roughness penalty, where that kind of stuff is frowned upon in those leagues. And then we kind of see this, and we're like, oh, that's no big deal. But to the people that play golf and watch golf, that's what that's like. That's what a quote-unquote technical foul is in golf or a flagrant foul that's that actually technically is a uh what's the word i'm looking for disqualifying that's a disqualifiable offense so if that helps you better understand why there was an uproar about it then there's the reason for it. But I mean, I was totally fine with it. He was clearly out of the tournament. And I think had he been in contention, there would be a lot more to discuss here. All right, let me shift gears here. We're going to shift gears to the NFL. So more players have been... As you know, this year more players are holding out out of their mini camps and OTAs and, and things like that. And majority of them are they're obviously star players who want new contracts. And Julio Jones is the latest of those group of people, and he's holding out from their mandatory mini camp. And I'm not really sure why he's. Okay, I'm, I know why he's doing it. Obviously, he wants more money. But he's got three years left on his deal. And usually, players don't do this until they're in a contract year or maybe the year before their contract year. But this is two years before his contract year. So, I don't get it from a timing standpoint. But... I understand what he wants. He wants more money and he wants to create a new market for star receivers. That's what Odell Beckham's trying to do. He's trying to create a new market and set a new market for what star receivers should be paid. Le'Veon Bell is doing the same thing for the running backs. He's trying to set a new market. And Julio's value to the Falcons is immense. Like people think of receivers as just icing on the on the football cake, or they think of them as, as sports cars in the summer, convertible sports cars with the top rolled down. They're real nice in the summer, but then once once the winter comes around, they're not very they're not useful at all. They kind of disappear. That's sort of what receivers do. They're great in the in the warmer months, 
beginning of the season, but once end of November, December, January, once that comes around, player wide receivers kind of become obsolete. But I think they're far more valuable than just being called icing on the cake. And I think Julio is a tremendous example of this. Julio has great size and speed and agility and is a tremendously smart receiver. A guy with that kind of athletic prowess deserves attention. He gets attention on the football field, he, whether it's a double cover, double coverage, or if, a, if he's not double covered, the coverage rotates towards his area to help out. Anytime a player on the field can create that some kind of defensive shift, that's a huge advantage to, to the offense. That means they can look in other directions, go to the run game. I think that's why Julio Jones is so valuable to the Falcons, and especially when you have a veteran QB like Matt Ryan where you can make checks at the line of scrimmage once you notice these kind of coverage shifts towards Julio Jones, it's a great advantage to your offense and it proves why receivers are so valuable. Elite ones at that. Like Odell Beckham commands that kind of attention. Antonio Brown commands that kind of attention. Des Bryant used to command that kind of attention. And I think still can. Des Bryant can still do that. But really, there's only a handful of guys that I think command that kind of attention on defense where a cover, the coverage will rotate towards that receiver's area. And just to name a few, I think there's around probably six to eight guys that command this kind of attention. Antonio Brown, Julio Jones, Odell Beckham. Those guys are in tier A. And then I think these next you know, four to five guys are in tier B. I would put, I would put a guy like Mike Evans. Mike Evans is such a huge physical freak. I would, I Stefan Diggs. I think definitely requires that kind of attention. Larry Fitzgerald used to, and and at his age, he is. He's a tremendous receiver at his, his age. I really can't even think of any receivers right now. It's just so hard to, to dissect the receivers. Jarvis Landry, I think, is a, a great number one receiver who can command that kind of attention. He gets a lot of catches on underneath routes, but is also very fast. Uh, let's see... Amari Cooper, Demarius Thomas, Michael Thomas, for sure Michael Thomas is in Tier B. A.J. Green, I forgot about A.J. Green. A.J. Green might even be in Tier A. He might be that fourth guy in Tier A, but... Those guys, those guys are A.J. Green, Antonio Brown, Odell, Julio, Jarvis Landry, Stephon Diggs. Those guys are great receivers, and 
their value isn't isn't so much as to what they the numbers they produce on the field as to much as to such their impact on defensive schemes just having them on the field creates such an impact that you don't even need to you, you haven't even thought about what they can do with the ball yet like Julio Jones his impact on the field just being on the field I think is far greater than his impact with the ball in his hands and I think that's definitely why he deserves to be paid as such creating a new market Odell and Julio definitely deserve as much as Antonio Brown in terms of that 17 to 20 million dollar range and I kind of changed I've kind of changed my tune on that because the narrative has always been receivers are just icing on the cake and I think they're I think they are a little more than that sorry my I had a notification on my phone there uh, I think receivers are much more than just icing on the cake. They're not like the most valuable offensive piece. I think a running back is more valuable, and I think your offensive line is far more valuable, and your quarterback is obviously the most valuable. I think quarterback and left tackle are the most valuable positions on an offense, but I think receivers do carry value with them. They're not just for glitz and glamour. They actually change the way a defense builds their schemes. So I think that's very interesting, and I think Julio Jones is definitely deserving of a new contract, although he is three years away from needing one. But obviously he wants to prove the value of the receiver position by creating a new market. And then more big news. This is actually great news for Indianapolis. Andrew Luck is throwing a football again for the first time in over a year. I don't have the exact date on that, but it's been well over a year since he's thrown a football. Now, obviously, for the Colts' success, this is huge. And Jacoby Brissett was serviceable last year, and they won a few games. But Andrew Luck, people forget, and a lot of people call Andrew Luck overrated just because he hasn't played very much, and he hasn't, I guess, created a lot of success for the Colts franchise. But if you think about it, Andrew Luck, his first year in the league, he took a terrible tanking team. His first year in the league won 11, 12 games, made the playoffs. He went to an AFC championship game and played against the greatest quarterback of all time and the greatest franchise of all time in the New England Patriots. Now, albeit it was the Deflategate game, but... Let's be honest, the Colts weren't winning that game anyway. But Andrew Luck is vital to the Colts' success, and they absolutely need him. And Andrew Luck, I don't think, is overrated. People called him overrated just because he 
He hasn't won the big one yet. If you're so great, why haven't you won it all yet? Well, you got to think about it. Andrew Luck is probably the third best quarterback, uh, fourth best quarterback in the AFC behind Phillip Rivers. Yes, Phillip Rivers is better than Andrew Luck. Ben Roethlisberger and Tom Brady. Andrew Luck is not overrated, though, and he in every season Andrew Luck has pl- where he's played the whole season, they've had a winning record, and he's had winning percentages far better than other quarterbacks in the league. But since Andrew Luck is throwing again for the first time in over a year, it it really makes me wonder how serious his injury was. Like, he must have had a very serious shoulder injury to have to sit out for over a year and not even touch a football. And I don't even think he's throwing full-size NFL footballs. I think he's throwing, like, the little, you know, like, the little peewee footballs. Or maybe in what they might be the college footballs. Or high school footballs. I don't even know if there's a difference in size with those. But I think they are smaller footballs. So obviously he's throwing a football again, but if he can't even throw a full-size NFL football, I I mean, his shoulder injury must have been really bad, and that's a cause for concern for re-injury. I mean, that serious of an injury to have to sit out over a year, that's bad. But Andrew Luck is vital to the success of the Colts and a very valuable player, not overrated. Andrew Luck has uh, driven the Colts to success every year that he's been healthy. And we'll see what he can do next year when he finally gets back on the field. And then Madden 19. Madden 19 is coming out at the end of this year. Uh, T.O. is gracing the cover, Terrell Owens. Uh, But some quarterback ratings came out. And Aaron Rodgers... has the highest rating in the game at quarterback at 99 overall. And then Tom Brady is at either 96 or 97. I bought, I saw both. I saw 97 on one show and then 96 on another. Uh, but shows have been, have been debating, is this correct? I don't see a problem with it. I mean, it's just a video game. It's, they don't base it on success or or uh you know previous accolades they base it on ability and i think aaron rodgers has far more ability than than tom brady especially since tom brady is like seven years older and far less mobile than aaron rodgers aaron rodgers is a far better far better in the pocket with his feet uh, he's got a stronger arm, and he's far better at throwing the Hail Mary than Tom Brady. I think it's definitely fine to have Aaron Rodgers at 99 and Tom Brady at 97. I don't really think this is... I mean, we're even debating overalls in a video game. I don't I don't really get it. If they had, like, Tom Brady as, like, outside the top five in terms of rating, 
like at like 93, I would probably have an issue with it, but 97 overall, that's still pretty much unstoppable. Aaron Rodgers, clearly deserving of the 99, I, I, I think. He is the best quarterback in the NFL right now. Maybe I would put him at 98 just because of his injury, but who cares? It's a video game. As long as it's not like outrageously low or high, I don't have a problem with it. And now, uh, the over-under for NFL win totals came out not too long ago. But I want to do over-under predictions for NFL teams. And we'll start from the bottom of this list here because all the, all the really good teams from last year are at the top. Uh, the Cleveland Browns, they're even on, they're even under, they're over under is set at five. And how this works is you either take the over five, which means more than five wins or less than five wins, or you can say even where you think they will win that many games. The Cleveland Browns over under is set at five. This is actually a really tough one. I don't know who their starting quarterback is going to be. Oh, that's tough. I'm probably going to say the even on this. I will go even. They can't get much worse than 0-16. I don't think they're going to win like seven or eight games. I'm going to go even with this one at five games. The Cincinnati Bengals at five. I'm also going to say even. The Bengals are bad. They're a terrible team. They got better on defense this year, but I just don't think Andy Dalton is. I don't think he's as great as I thought he would be. He had a great season a couple years ago. I don't know about this year. Arizona Cardinals at five and a half. With Josh Rosen potentially being the starter, Larry Fitzgerald back another year. You have Christian Kirk, David Johnson's going to return. I really do like the Cardinals this year. I think the Cardinals, arguably, the second best team in their division. And people might think I'm crazy on that. Seattle is falling off. Legion of Boom's dead. Pete Carroll's going to be out in a few years. The Seahawks are, are just not what they used to be. And the 49ers... Jimmy Garoppolo, I think, is great. I don't think the roster around him is good enough to win like the, the games required to make the playoffs, which would be around 8 or 9 if you think in a wild card. And then clearly the LA Rams are just top class in that division and in that conference. Over, under on Arizona, I think definitely over. I think they're going to win 8. Eight or nine games and make a wild card. Um, Arizona Cardinals, I think, are a team that a lot of people are sleeping on. Chicago Bears at five and a half. I like over on the Chicago Bears. Think about it. Mitch Trubisky's got another year of experience. Definitely, I think he's primed to definitely break out in his sophomore season. You have a plethora of weapons on offense now. Tariq Cohen, Jordan Howard, Allen Robinson, Taylor Gabriel, Trey Burton. 
They signed Simi Cobbs as an undrafted free agent. They have a great offensive line and a pretty solid defense. I think this team, although they're young, can be very good. I like them over five games. I'm not sure if they'll make the playoffs just because that division is going to be tough with Rodgers coming back and the Vikings being good. But we'll see what happens. The Buffalo Bills at six. Uh, I'm going to say... I'm going to say under on this. Uh, Josh Allen is very raw, has very high bust potential, but also a very high boom potential. Their roster is not very good. Great defense. Pretty solid defense, but their offense is not great. Shady McCoy is another year older. Kevin Benjamin is their only receiver who is extremely injury prone. Not a great offensive line. I like under on this. The New York Jets at six and a half. Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go over, but it's not gonna be much. I'm gonna say like seven games. They'll miss the playoffs. Sam Darnold will not play this year. It'll be probably McCown. Or Bridgewater. I would say probably McCown. He's got the most experience. He's still a very good quarterback at his age. Bridgewater is probably going to either get traded or he'll sign on another team next year. I'll I'll take the over, but it's at seven games. Detroit Lions, six and a half. I'm going to go under. I'm going to go six games here. They're usually an 8-8 eight eight team, but there's three teams in that division with them that are pretty good. The Bears, Packers, and Vikings, I just don't see them doing very well. Redskins, six and a half, under. You got the Eagles, you got the Cowboys, and you have the Giants coming back. And if you People think the Giants are a bad team. They're one year removed from an 11-5 season. They are. It is what it is. New York Giants at seven. I'm going to take the over on that. Again, one year removed from 11 and five. They got Saquon Barkley, who's a home run hitter. Odell's going to be back healthy. They're going to be pretty good. Miami Dolphins at seven. I'm going to take the under on this one. I think they're going to be one of the weaker teams in the AFC East especially without having your top receiver in Jarvis Landry, who is the behind Antonio Brown, the most consistent receiver in the league. They're going to struggle this year. Denver Broncos at 7.5. I'm going to take the over on this. Uh, I don't – I'm going to take over, but it's probably going to be at 8 wins. Case Keenum, I think, is a very viable quarterback. I don't know how good he's going to be with Demaryius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders, but I definitely do not like them over the Chargers or the Raiders. Sorry, I was getting a drink there. Um, The Indianapolis Colts is 7.5 over, simply because Andrew Luck's coming back. I'd probably put them around 9 wins. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 7.5 is the over-under. I will go under. They're just not good. 
Kansas City Chiefs at 8. I, I like them better than the Broncos. I'm going to go over. On 8, I think I'll give them 9 wins and a probable playoff spot as a wild card. Jacksonville Jaguars at 8. Over. Definitely clear-cut best defense in the league. Blake Bortles is serviceable. They've got a great offensive line and some young offensive weapons. They're going to be the same team they were last year, but probably even better. The Dallas Cowboys at 8. Clearly over on this. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a biased Cowboys fan. I definitely think with Zeke Elliott back for a whole season, Dak doesn't have to worry about feeding, force-feeding a number one receiver. He's kind of got a plethora of guys to work with. Can kind of He has a committee of receivers he can throw to. And a defense that's young but getting better. I like the over on this. I'd probably give them 11 wins, 12 wins. The Carolina Panthers at 8. This one's tough. I'm going to go even on this one. With Cam, I just don't have consistency. And if I don't have consistency, then I don't see them winning the division. Tennessee Titans at 8.5. I'm going to go under. Mariota is not... I don't think Mariota is a great quarterback. I don't even I don't even know if he's a good quarterback. He's he's okay. I don't even I don't I wouldn't call him good. He's not in my top three tiers of quarterbacks. Mariota is not in the top half of the league in terms of ranking as a quarterback. He's outside the top sixteen. He doesn't talk. Like there's three positions across sports where you have to communicate. And that's point guard, that's catcher in baseball, and quarterback. You have to communicate with your with your teammates, with your players. Quarterback is the most vocal position in the game. You you talk in the huddle, you communicate your plays in the huddle. From what I heard, I've heard, Marietta doesn't talk. He doesn't talk to anybody. He's extremely antisocial. I don't like that in my quarterback. Talented guy, he's talented, but he doesn't talk. Baltimore Ravens at eight and a half. I'll go under. If Joe Flacco's playing, I think it's definitely under. If Lamar Jackson's playing, it's interesting, but I'm going to go under on this. San Francisco 49ers at eight and a half. I'm going to go under, and I'll give them eight games. Simply because, even though Garoppolo's great, they just don't have the talent around them. Around him. Seahawks at nine. I'm going to go under. Legion of Boom is falling apart. Houston Texans at nine. I'm going to go even. Deshaun Watson will be back. It's going to be a tough division this year with the Colts and the Jaguars. The Chargers, the Los Angeles Chargers at 9, over for sure. Phil Rivers is still great 
at his age. They have a tremendous defense and a very, very talented roster. I really like this team. Los Angeles Rams at nine, far and away over. I think they're going to win probably 13 games this year. Uh, Atlanta Falcons at nine and a half. Nine and a half, I'm probably going to go over. I think they're going to be a lot better this year. They've got Calvin Ridley, who is another stud offensive weapon that can kind of play off of Julio, the attention Julio Jones gets. And that's another great thing about star receivers. They attract so much attention that other guys can get the ball and show their worth. Uh, Oakland Raiders at nine and a half. I'm going to go... When you say under, it sounds like a bad thing. But just in terms of that division, I'm saying under. They're going to win nine games, I think. Being right behind the Chargers. And I think the Raiders will probably get a playoff spot. Or the Chiefs. One of those two teams are going to get a playoff spot as a wild card. The New Orleans Saints at nine and a half over. They're probably going to win 12 or 13 games and win their division. Green Bay Packers at 10. That's a very high over-under. Oh, gosh. I'm going to go even. I just don't know if the Packers have that great of a team. It is Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers knows how to run the table at the end of the year, but that's a very high over-under. I'll stick with the even. Minnesota Vikings at 10. I'm going to go over. I think they're going to win their division. They're going to dominate their division for the next five years, at least for the next three, because that's how long Kirk Cousins' contract is for. But if that team stays together, next five years for sure. The Philadelphia Eagles at 10. You might be surprised, but I'm going to go under. They have a first-place schedule this year. Carson Wentz is coming off an injury. Yes, they did get better on the defensive end, but playing a, a first-place schedule, that's tough. And that's what Dallas did this year. They played a first-place schedule, and they weren't that good. Still won nine games playing a first-place schedule, so they might still win nine games, but don't be surprised if they're third, finished third in the division this year behind the Cowboys and Giants. And the Pittsburgh Steelers at 10.5, again, a very high over-under. But when you look at that division, it's not hard to say over. Probably win 11, 12 games. And the New England Patriots at 11.5, you got to pick the over here. Things are starting to fall apart in New England. But if you look at that division, no one can really compete with them. So that is the over-under predictions for the NFL season next year. All right. So I want to shift gears now. Let's segue over to the NBA, the more relevant sport at the moment. Uh, although the season just finished, but we got some updates on LeBron James and, and free agency in general, really. Chris Paul is telling people that LeBron James wants to play in L.A. 
although he is aggressively recruiting him to Houston. And I think this is probably, he's telling people the worst kept secret in sports. LeBron, I think, clearly wants to go to L.A. Before when LeBron left for Miami, nobody knew what was going on. Nobody knew he was going to go to Miami. And when he went back to Cleveland, nobody knew he was going to do that either. So it seems like LeBron would be very cryptic in his decision-making in what gets leaked and things. But, I mean, things are getting leaked left and right, and I think it's very obvious that LeBron wants to play for the Lakers. And another Lakers topic, I think the Lakers potentially going to be a super team this summer. But Greg Popovich and the Spurs do not want to do business with... Actually, before I get into this, I haven't really updated you. You probably already know, but Kawhi Leonard wants out of San Antonio. And as I've talked about before in previous episodes, uh, he sat out pretty much the whole year because of an injury. And we talked about if their relationship was beyond repair. Did he want to be there? Did he want to not be there? We didn't really know. But now it's come out that he does not want to be in San Antonio anymore. And his preferred trade destination is Los Angeles, preferably the Lakers. And then a story broke today from NBA reporter Mark Stein that Greg Popovich and the Spurs do not want to do business with the Lakers, but will reluctantly do so if they offer the best package for Kawhi. And obviously I'm paraphrasing. But of course the Spurs are going to do business with the Lakers. You don't want to do business with the Lakers, but of course you're going to. No other team is going to want to trade for Kawhi Leonard. And here's why. Although Kawhi is probably one of the top five players in the league, nobody's going to trade for him because he's already said where he wants to go play. So if you trade for him, if you trade away valuable assets to get him, there's no guarantee he's going to stay. And then you traded those assets for a one-year rental. That's what I was saying about trading for Paul George earlier in the season when he was available. Why do it if L.A. is kind of lingering as the place he wants to go to? You're just trading for a one-year rental. And there were talks that Lakers were, the Lakers were going to do that. You're trading for a guy that you could just sign at the end of the season. So teams aren't going to trade for Kawhi. They're going to be very reluctant to because there's no guarantee he's going to sign. So of course the Lakers are going to do business with the Spurs. Of course Popovich is going to talk to Magic Johnson. Of course. The Spurs aren't going to just let Kawhi walk out of the door. They can they can wait a while. They can let the situation play out. They can wait until the February trade deadline. They can wait until February. But if you want to get the best value now, I think the Lakers, they can't offer the best package, but they can certainly offer a pretty good one. I think the Celtics can offer the best package. They they can offer you Jalen Brown, 
a plethora of picks and Gordon Hayward, that would be a great deal, and I would definitely take that. I think Gordon Hayward fits perfectly with the Spurs. The Celtics could also, maybe instead of Hayward, you do Kyrie Irving. The Celtics have Terry Rozier on the come up. Why not get Kawhi? You have Rozier, who's up and coming, Kawhi, Jason Tatum, and now Horford. That's a great team. That's a better team than what they have now. And then Kyrie in San Antonio with the best coach in basketball, arguably. I mean, come on. That would be a great deal. So the, the Celtics can obviously offer the best con or best con the best deal. But I don't think they're gonna do it because there's no guarantee Kawhi will stay, and then you've lost Kyrie Irving for for essentially nothing. The Lakers, though, they can offer they can maybe do Lonzo Ball, they can do and I know the Spurs aren't going to want Lonzo Ball with the dish track stuff going on. And in case you haven't heard, Lonzo and Kyle Kuzma were going back and forth, rapping at each other, doing dissing each other. And it was actually pretty serious. It wasn't just poking fun at each other. It was actually serious stuff. And when you're trying to recruit LeBron, it's not a good look. So I don't think the Spurs are going to want that kind of distraction. Distracts and... I, I said that wrong, but I was trying to make a pun, diss, track, shun. But uh, the Spurs aren't going to want that. Popovich is not going to want to deal with LeVar Ball. So I don't think Lonzo is in the trade discussion, but I think Kyle Kuzma and Brandon Ingram, plus the number 25 pick, and maybe another future pick, that would be a very interesting deal for Kawhi, and I think the Spurs would definitely bite on that. Kuzma, I think, is a copy of Kawhi Leonard, but just far younger, not as talented defensively, but certainly can shoot better and has an offensive game similar to that of Kawhi. Ultimately, I think Kawhi will will end up in LA, likely on draft night this Thursday, and we're going to get into the draft. Uh, I just got a notification, Bleacher Report. Uh, Brady hints at retiring at 45. Tom Brady suggests he, he will play until 45 on his Instagram post discussing his retirement. Well, that's big news. He's going to play for another five years. Uh, but anyways, I think Kawhi will end up in L.A. I think the Spurs will have to do a deal with the Lakers at some point, whether it be now or later in the season, once the season starts. But it's what the Spurs have to do. They have to get something in return. Um, and then the Lakers are also unsure if Paul George is going to sign with them after Oklahoma City offers Paul George a max deal. And... Obviously, it would be great to have Paul George, Kawhi, and LeBron James, which would mean that likely Kuzma and Ingram are gone. But if you think about it, 
do the Lakers really need Paul George, a guy who disappears when the playoff rules or playoffs roll around? I don't think if you have LeBron and Kawhi, you don't need Paul George. Obviously, it'd be great. It'd be great to have three superstars on your team, but I don't think you need Paul George. Kawhi Leonard, when healthy, is leaps and bounds better than Paul George. Defensively, Paul George is a great two-way player too, but Kawhi is the best two-way player in basketball. He can create his own shot. He can play tremendous defense and can really give a guy like Kevin Durant some problems in the Western Conference Finals. But if you think about it, people think super teams are the problem with the NBA. That's wrong. There's one super team that's the problem with the NBA. This is why we haven't seen so much parity the last four years. Is one, because LeBron James is so great. That's not a secret. But it's because the Warriors have such a great collection of talent. And the only way to take down that talent is, one, break up that team. But that's likely not going to happen. Like Durant's not going to leave. Curry's locked in. Clay and Draymond are about to be locked in. That's not going to happen. But the most likely thing that needs to happen is more super teams. Like Houston, I would probably call a, a super team. They have two superstars and one B-plus player in, in Capella. The Cavs aren't a super team. Uh, the Celtics, I think, can be a super team. Just because of how how many assets they have and what they can do to acquire star players. But the only way to take down a super team is to become a super team. And people think that that's the problem with the NBA super teams. No, it's the solution to the problem. To take out that super team, you have to build a new super team. And a super team with LeBron, Kawhi, and Paul George plus Lonzo Ball and I don't know who you're going to have at center, but that team, I think, can take out the Golden State Warriors for sure. Absolutely 100%. From a defensive standpoint, they can lock down the Warriors 100%. Kawhi on Kevin Durant. Paul George probably on... I'd probably put Paul George on Curry. Yeah, I would put Paul George on Curry, and then I'm going to put Lonzo Ball on Clay Thompson. Because Lonzo is actually a smart defender, is very long, great wingspan. I think that works. And then you put LeBron on Draymond Green. And that would be a great matchup, too. I think that's that team can 100% take down the Golden State Warriors. But remember... Super teams are not the problem with the NBA. Right now, they're the solution. And finally, we'll close out the show with this. The NBA draft is this Thursday. And there's been a lot of speculation over who will go number one. Is it Luka Doncic? Is it 
DeAndre Ayton, Michael Porter Jr. is kind of creeping up there a little bit. Uh, Luka Doncic is high on everybody's board. He's kind of falling on mine a little bit. I did like him as the number two player. But just from watching other other shows and them talking about it and kind of seeing the game tape that they that they show Doncic is a he has a very high basketball uh, basketball IQ very smart player can handle the ball an excellent passer and shooter but he's extremely slow unathletic and really can't play defense and I think Luka Doncic would struggle guarding some of these athletic players on the wing. And that's a concern for me if I'm sitting in that top five and Doncic is available. I think I think Doncic is going to be overdrafted. He's going to be highly overdrafted. I would probably rank him near the end of the top ten, and he's probably going to go one or two. Trey Young and Michael Porter Jr., though, I think they are these two players are the uh, these two players are perfect for today's NBA based on their skill sets. Trey Young looked every bit as good as Steph Curry at times this past college basketball season. And Michael Porter Jr., although he only played, you know, a handful of games this year, he's got Paul George and Kevin Durant kind of ability. He can score. He can create his own shot. He can pass. He's a great defender. This guy all around, he can play. And I really like these two, and I think these two players are players that teams will trade up for. There are concerns about Michael Porter's injury history and his medical stuff, but as far as he said, it's all good, and his back is fully healthy. And then for the guy that I think is the number one pick, DeAndre Ayton, I said this on, on the last show, he is what Carl Anthony Towns is now. And that's a superstar. Or if you don't want to call him that, a star. So if that's what he is now, I, I think he's the obvious number one pick, and the Suns need a big man. They have Booker, and they have a guy who they need to develop in Josh Jackson. You have great wing players there already. You don't need Doncic. You don't need Trey Young. You need a big man, and I think DeAndre Aiden would be perfect for the Suns. And although it's not a big man league, that doesn't mean you can't win with a big man. Like, if you think about it, Golden State Warriors and the Cleveland Cavaliers they have terrible big man rotations. And that just shows how much of a guard league it is. Like the Warriors big man rotation, like Jordan Bell, JaVale McGee, Zaza Pachulia. Not very good post players. They're not very good big men. And for the Cavs, Tristan Thompson is a great rebounder, but he's not very skilled on the inside. Ante Zizic, who didn't even play in the finals. And I can't even really think of anyone else. Jeff Green, maybe. 
Kevin Love is pretty good. But the rotations aren't very good. And it shows that it's the, the league has been driven to more of a guard league. So DeAndre Ayton might be looked at as a guy that is not needed and is not necessary to build a championship team. But I think with his skill set, he plays like a guard. And I think you absolutely need him if you're the if you're the Phoenix Suns, just to create more balance. And then trades on draft day that I definitely think are possible. Don't know if they're gonna happen, but I think they're definitely possible. Uh, these first couple are pleas to LeBron to try to get him to stay. Um, and I think this one is actually very interesting. I actually heard this from a guy. Uh, I'm a lifeguard. I work at our local country club and I was just talking to this guy and, and I said, how, he said that the Cavs are going to get Kawhi. And I said, how are you going to get Kawhi? This is how Kevin Love in the number eight pick. I think that's a very interesting deal for Kawhi. You could even throw in another player. Like, I don't know. Well, no, you can't throw in another player. You would have to to make salary match up. I think this actually works perfectly. They're both making around twenty something million dollars a year. I think this is perfect. Kevin Love and the number eight pick for Kawhi. I really like that. If I'm the Cavs, and I think I go for that, and I think that would actually entice LeBron to stay. But again, will the Cavs do it? Kawhi wants to play in L.A. If Le- obviously, I think LeBron would stay if Kawhi's there, but both of them would probably leave and go to to Los Angeles. It would be a great shot. You got nothing to lose if you're Cleveland. You really have nothing to lose. You might as well try it. I think that would be a great pick, a uh, great pickup for them to try to keep LeBron. And then this other one, in order to get another all-star caliber guard, Jordan Clarkson and George Hill. And you could probably, you could do the number eight pick or maybe some other future picks. I think you'd you'd have to do the eight pick for Kemba Walker. And Kemba Walker was talked about in trades earlier in the season. I think that would be a pretty solid move for the Cavs. Don't know if that would be enough to keep LeBron. Might as well try though. And obviously... Kemba Walker is far better than Jordan Clarkson or George Hill, so you're not really losing anything. And if if somehow the Cavs could pull off both of these deals, and maybe you just have to include future picks in the deal for Kemba, I mean, if you could do that, that's a great team. On paper, anyways. It's a great team. I don't think either of the... I think the Kemba one is far more likely than Kawhi, though. And then... Obviously, a Laker trade was going to come in in this, where, in this somewhere. Brandon Ingram and Kyle Kuzma and the number 25 pick for Kawhi Leonard. I think that's a pretty obvious one. The Utah Jazz trade Ricky Rubio, Alec Burks, and future picks or a pick... For either DeMar DeRozan or Kyle Lowry. 
whichever one they would rather. And I think having one of those guys to pair with Donovan Mitchell, that's a heck of a tandem in the backcourt. And the Jazz were a playoff team this year. If you get one of those guys, they're leaps and bounds better. They have a they would have a great coach in Quinn Snyder. Rudy Gobert is a defensive anchor. You have Derek Favors. That's a great team. That's a that's a heck of a team. And I think that's a very interesting trade. The Heat trade Hassan Whiteside to the Mavericks, and I think I saw this one somewhere, and I thought this was a, a pretty solid deal. Hassan Whiteside to the Mavs for Wesley Matthews and a future pick. You're not going to get the Mavs first rounder this year. It's too high of a pick. Uh, now Hassan Whiteside's not worth that. Tremendous shot blocker and rebounder, but he needs a great coach like Rick Carlisle to get him back on track. And I think if you pair him with Dennis Smith Jr. plus whoever they draft, man, that would be a that would be a young team, but it's an up and coming team, and it'd be a pretty interesting team once all of that shakes out if this deal were to happen. And then. This one, I'm not really sure, but I think this could, this is definitely possible. The Grizzlies, I think, are either going to trade Marcus or Mike Conley, one of their two stars, and they could package that number four pick in the deal to get something in return. They've also been talking about Chandler Parsons in the four pick because they really want to unload Chandler Parsons' contract. I think they're going to get rid of one of those three guys on draft day and possibly their number four pick. But obviously, I think the big deals to look out for are Kawhi trades, any trades the Cavaliers try to make, and even this Jazz trade with the Raptors. I think that's an interesting one, too. I think that is definitely interesting. But that's it for me this week, guys. Thank you for tuning in. I know it's far too late. I will try to get an epi- another episode out this week around Friday or Saturday. Um, bit of a longer show, but we had a lot to cover because I missed so much. So make sure you follow the show on Twitter at the Will Ford Show. Rate and review the show on iTunes. Like and comment on SoundCloud. Share this with your friends, your parents, your enemies, coworkers. Anybody you want. Uh, thank you for listening, guys. It's WFS.
Never see the light. It's hard to know which one of us is caving. 